had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cool Zone Media. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the show about the slow end of the world and all the small little things that are kind of pushing us that way. Isn't that exciting? New year, new me. Not, not really. I'm kind of doing the same, same stuff. Mostly staring into the abyss and seeing what stares back. Uh, staring at the abyss with me today is Mia Wong. Hello, thank you for joining me. Oh boy, the abyss is looking is looking real choppy today. Real really, abyssal, you could say. The waves coming out of it are, are staring back at you real hard. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk today about anti-Semitism. So uh, I guess. Content warning in case you don't want to hear a whole bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. I'm I'm not just going to be repeating anti-Semitic things. It's just this is just the topic for the whole episode. So yeah, the past few months there has been a pretty dramatic rise in anti-Semitism, ranging from physical attacks, vandalism, and lots of rhetoric. Now there's a few factors that I think make this a little bit tricky to talk about, which is why it's taken me a while to put this together. Firstly, I, I want to avoid getting into, like, oppression Olympics here, right? Talking about one bad thing does not negate many other bad things that are happening concurrently. D- uh, having a discussion about a very troubling rise in anti-Semitism um, and a state-backed ethnic cleansing do not need to be mutually exclusive topics of discussion, right? We can say both of these things are, are actually pretty bad. And today, we're going to be talking specifically about anti-Semitism. And I think... You know, this show has had a history of reporting on anti-fascist movements and attempts to stop fascist entryism. 
and promoting of anti-Semitism. So this topic is well within our regular wheelhouse, and there is a decent bit to talk about. Now, the second thing that makes this topic a little bit tricky is that some of the big extremism research groups that typically do the most accessible cataloging of anti-Semitic incidents have proven themselves to be slightly unreliable on this topic for the past four months. And that's not just my opinion, that's also the opinion of current and former ADL employees who have been coming out against director Jonathan Greenblatt's leadership choices, particularly since the October 7th Hamas attack. Now, due to the nature of their job versus my job, ADL analysts have a lot more dedicated time and resources to cataloging alleged anti-Semitic incidents. But under Greenblatt's direction, the whole of their data from the past four months is heavily skewed to include anything expressing anti-Zionism as being included in their uh, data about anti-Semitism. Um, and even anything deemed too sympathetic to Palestinians as being a driver of anti-Semitism. So that's the kind of situation we have here with you know, there's many issues the ADL has had in the past, which we may talk about in, in the future, but typically they've done an okay job the past few years, specifically cataloging anti-Semitism during the rise of the alt-right. Their data is often relatively reliable on this topic. Some of their other data and other practices are very open to criticism, but th this is kind of one other factor that's going to make this a little bit tricky. Now, as like an example, right? This is this this is we can we can talk about these things in abstract. I'm going to talk about something from Atlanta because this is something I have some experience in. So, on the ADL's big map of anti-Semitic incidents from October 7th to the present, if you zoom into Atlanta, there's two incidents that are right next to each other. One is a banner drop done by the Goyim Defense League, which is a group of neo-Nazis. Oh, God. Basically, they, they made some banners <sighs> expressing pro-Hitler statements alongside slogans like Free Palestine, and they put them up above a really big road in Atlanta, right? So this is pretty standard neo-Nazi anti-Semitism using kind of anti-Zionism as this sort of mask, but I mean... I yeah, mean, you're if you're doing Hitler stuff, like masks, <laughs> very thin. Um. Yes, exactly. It's not really, it's not really masked because you also have a Hitler banner. But like, you know, if if someone only sees one banner, be like, oh, it's a Palestine banner. But no, it's actually a Nazi banner. So we have this incident logged. We also have another incident logged right beside it from a protest a few days later, which was an interfaith uh, rally in support of Palestine against the ongoing ethnic cleansing that's happening in Gaza with thousands and thousands of people being killed. So we have this banner drop and we have this rally, and both of these things are labeled as an anti-Semitic incident. They're, they're both like equal in the eyes of this data, which just isn't true. I was, I, I, I was at this rally. I did not hear anything anti-Semitic coming from the speakers. Many of the speakers, if not the majority of the speakers, were Jewish. There were a group of Jewish counter-protesters who showed up, who started many fights, fights which were very quickly de-escalated by the people who were putting on the rally. There was this one woman who was carrying an, an Israeli flag on this flagpole who kept hitting people with it. So th there was a lot of there was a lot of things going on at this rally, but this was not an anti-Semitic rally. And in fact, the the Jewish counter-protesters were extremely vitriolic. 
they were expressing explicit desire for genocide of Palestinians. Like it, very, very gross stuff. It, it was it was really disgusting. So both of these incidents, though, are seen as equal, which just show that's a, that's just an easy example to kind of show how this data isn't really reliable that the ADL is putting together here. Um, now, I really don't feel like it's my place to go through the ADL's uh, database and decide what is and is not anti-Semitism, right? Like that's, I don't have the time, nor the money, nor really the authority to be like the arbiter of what is and isn't anti-Semitic. Yeah, Gar- Garris- Garrison turning into the anti-Semitism commissar. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not me, right? I, I have a background in anti-fascist research. I have a background in neo-Nazi German anti-Semitism. Right? These are the things I usually specialize in. But still, this is a, this is a massive this is a massive field. Anti-Semitism is a complicated topic. Rhetoric can be complicated, and having not attended or reviewed every single rally or incident in question, I'm simply not equipped to make informed judgments. So, for that reason, this episode I will focus mostly on physical attacks, threats, and vandalism, as opposed to the much more murky waters of rhetoric, online rhetoric. And, you know, just these, these, there's been probably thousands of rallies across the United States. I've not been to every one. I've not watched every single speech. I've not heard every single offhand comment. So I'm not going to deal with those. Instead, I'm going to be focusing on physical, like, in, like, IRL and things that have a very, a very clear uh, result of, of the action. So this mostly attacks, threats, vandalism. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. The, I guess, actually, the one other thing about stats uh, is that when talking about this rise in anti-Semitism, because there, there's been a lot of articles from mainstream news outlets being like, here's the rise in anti-Semitism, and here's the stats. Another thing pointing towards why these stats are unreliable and the reason why I'm not going to be using them largely is because many of the stats included in these articles are crime stats. And these crime stats are also proving to be heavily unreliable. For example, the Metropolitan Police claimed that there was a 1,350% increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes in London during the first two and a half weeks of October, with 218 anti-Semitic offenses in London during that time period compared to only 15 in 2022. But included in these stats are... Incidents like the police in London arresting a man for tearing down some of those hostage posters. That's one of the hate crimes that they include in this. Um, And uh, also, the Met said that, that's the Metropolitan Police, said that chanting from the river to the sea near Jewish people or near Jewish buildings during a protest would be deemed unlawful. And I think there is a a debate to be had whether, if if you're just protesting outside of a random Jewish building, that's probably not great, and it that could be an indicator of anti-Semitism, but having that chant be deemed unlawful for just being near other Jewish people, like I said, at the rally in Atlanta, there was a whole bunch of Jewish counter-protesters who came to start fights. So, like, you're going to be around Jewish people if you're a march, you're marching around, or if you're outside an Israeli embassy, that's, a, that's an, in my opinion, a very valid target for protest. That would be considered a Jewish building. So, all of these stats are heavily heavily skewed by these by by these sorts of reasons for how how uh, how the Met is including things as being anti-Semitic hate crimes. Yeah, and I mean, like this, the, like if you just think about 
what the rationale is there for a second. Like, is is a group of anti-Zionist Jews chanting from the river to the sea around themselves a hate crime? Exactly, right? right? Like, There's... this is nonsense. Like, yes. So... <laughs> and also, you know what I mean? I, and also, like, this is the British police. Like, those yes. are the most anti-Semitic motherfuckers this side of, like... The Ukrainian neo-Nazis or something. And like, like I, I do not doubt there was an actual increase of anti-Semitic attacks, vandalism, oh yeah. and hate speech. That 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 is what we're talking about in this episode. We will be getting into many incidents. But it is difficult to pin down s- some of what these really big stats actually represent. Because if tearing down one of those silly Hamas wanted posters is being labeled a hate crime on the same level as drawing a swastika on a synagogue that data is basically useless. And now I think it's also worth mentioning just very, very briefly, uh, the Metropolitan Police also recorded a 140% increase in Islamophobic incidents during those first two and a half weeks of October. That's that's 42 incidents in 2022 compared to 103 incidents in 2023. And while that percentage is lower than the anti-Semitic stat, it also indicates how much more common Islamophobia in London is because the regular amount of reported incidents from last year is so much higher than the regular reported amount of anti-Semitic incidents. Like having having forty-two incidents per like two and a half weeks be the normal stat is uh not great. And yeah. maybe maybe someone should look into why British people are so uh, Islamophobic. Um, I mean that, that that there's that that's a whole episode in and of itself. <laughs> Islamophobia in the UK is a massive massive problem. But just as a comparison, I thought I might as well say that. We will, we will get to uh, Hanukkah next, but it has already been 13 minutes of me talking about stats and giving disclaimers, so that means it's time for an ad break. I'm not going to do a silly ad transition, just listen to the ads. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C Y M B I O T I K A dot com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? 
why did the internet choose them, and what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are we are back. Since we just finally escaped the holiday season, uh, let's begin by talking about Hanukkah. Public menorahs, uh, often without any extra like iconography tying them to the state of Israel, were a frequent target of vandalism and anti-Semitic messaging during the month of December. A far-right member of parliament in Poland used a fire extinguisher to blow out the candles on a menorah in the lobby of parliament. A public menorah in London had its light bulbs smashed with a free Palestine sticker placed onto the front, and then days later it was found toppled over and left in pieces. There's many of these incidents. Uh, I'm just going to name a few more just because at a certain point it kind of becomes redundant, but I think these things are worth talking about. Um, an 11-foot, 350-pound menorah next to Lake Merritt in Oakland was cut up and destroyed in, mid- in mid-December with pieces being thrown into the nearby lake. A message was graffitied that led, we're gonna find you, you're on alert. Uh, it was also reported <sighs> that there was a graffiti left nearby that read free Palestine in Arabic, but I can't confirm that. The The picture they have online does not match what free Palestine in Arabic looks like, but I'm not an expert on Arabic, so I just can't confirm that, but that is being reported in local Jewish newspapers. A menorah sand sculpture commissioned in Palm Beach was destroyed and left defaced with a swastika. Outside a synagogue in a suburb of Washington, D.C., a menorah was toppled over on the eve of Hanukkah, and two menorahs were vandalized and damaged in Brooklyn in early December by masked individuals. So, one other similar incident I will talk about, which is kind of interesting, is that there was this pro-Palestine protest at Yale, where a one of the protesters climbed up onto this massive I don't know how tall it was, but it was it was it was huge. They had to climb up pretty high on this big public menorah and placed a Palestinian flag kind of around one of the little arms on the menorah. But very quickly, like within seconds of this happening, other pro-Palestine protesters note noticing this is kind of disrespectful, uh, asked this person to take it down. Like like almost almost immediately. This is a very a very quick exchange, and this kind of sparked some. People talking about, you know, is it okay to put Palestinian flags on menorahs? Is it okay to vandalize menorahs? Which the, the answer is no. The answer is you shouldn't vandalize a menorah. That's generally not great. But you know, people were were saying uh, and specifically pointing towards like pictures of IDF soldiers who've been taking territory in Gaza, who've been putting up menorahs in Gaza or like the Israeli military doing these photo ops with big menorahs in different parts of Gaza being like, hey, when there's this active ethnic cleansing going on and soldiers are using this religious iconography and it's being associated directly with this with this ongoing ethnic genocide, how can you blame people who are going to be treating this symbol with hostility? And I think there's a few problems with this idea. 
I'm going to quote from this Jewish artist who goes by underscore A Nunnery, who I think phrased this really well. Quote, Jewish symbols shouldn't be associated with Zionism or ceded to them just because Zionists abuse them. If the menorah were put up by Zionists as some explicitly Zionist display, then putting up a Palestinian flag would be an act of resistance. If it's not, then it's just cementing the Zionist conflation and exploitation of Jewish identity. There are more non-Jewish Zionists than there are Jews, unquote. And this gets at a point which I think is really important when you're talking about uh, anti-Zionist activism. Uh, attacking symbols of Jewish culture in the name of anti-Zionism only strengthens the cause of Zionism by affirming the conflation of Judaism and Zionism or Judaism and the state of Israel. This conflation helps Zionists shield their actions by abusing the Jewish identity and making these two things be more like intersectional. So I think that is one, a strategic reason for why this is a bad idea. And two, it's maybe slightly anti-Semitic. So that is my little holiday section, just because I saw a whole bunch of stuff around these menorahs and I didn't feel good about it. Yeah, like this sucks. Like, please don't do this. And like, I, I've, I've seen some people like, like also using the comparison of like, would you would you also criticize um, indigenous people in America for for graffitiing or taking down images of like Christian iconography? And like, no, because the oppression faced by Christians and the oppression faced by Jewish people are two different things. Like, these are these are actually historically these are very different things so no these things actually cannot be compared in my opinion but now i'm going to talk about some international incidents because i think we have a tendency to overfocus on america when there's a whole bunch of other stuff happening in you know the rest of the world back in october a historic synagogue in tunisia was burned down by a mob of hundreds of people in response to reports that an israeli airstrike hit a hospital in gaza this sucks <laughs> Yeah. I shouldn't have to explain why burning down a historical uh, synagogue is anti-Semitic because you don't like something the state of Israel did. That's just that that just isn't that that just isn't like that's just Nazi shit. Like, come on. Yeah. So a month later in November, someone posted a video online of themselves pouring fuel and setting fire to the only synagogue in Armenia. The entrance was damaged in the arson attack, but no one was hurt. The only synagogue in Wrocław, Poland, sorry, I probably butchered that, but it is a hard word, uh, but the only synagogue in this town in Poland to survive the Holocaust was defaced with graffiti that read, quote, Israel criminals and murderers, unquote. And then uh, like a week, uh, I guess earlier that week, a, gr a group of teenagers also destroyed a menorah in this same town. In mid-October, uh, Molotov cocktails were thrown at a synagogue in Berlin. Uh, after Hanukkah in Belgium, a Jewish cemetery was vandalized with swastikas on gravestones. In late, no in, in late November, a Molotov cocktail was thrown at a Jewish community center in Montreal. Earlier that month, shots were fired at two different Jewish schools in Montreal in three different incidents. And four Holocaust memorials in Germany were vandalized with a mix of anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist messages. So, so again, like when I was looking at these ones, ones in Germany, the actual content of about half of these messages were not anti-Semitic, but the act of doing this at a at a at a Holocaust memorial just yeah. is like it it 
it gives me the ick, and there's arguments could be made that this does actually play into anti-Semitic tropes. Like, you're, what, you're blaming dead Jewish people for the actions of the current state of Israel? Like, that's, it's, it just, and also half, half of these messages left at these, at, at these Holocaust memorial sites were also just blatantly anti-Semitic, like, very, very clearly, like, Nazi-style stuff. I, I do not have time to go over all of the incidents across Europe. There is a great deal many. There's many, many, many that I've not mentioned. These are just a few. Like I said, I'm focusing on like vandalism, very, very clear cut stuff, people doing arson attacks, right? It's just very, very basic stuff. This stuff in Montreal, not great. Montreal, Canada, get your shit together. <laughs> Although, unfortunately, not surprising, but still upsetting, uh, is Jews being barred from shops across Turkey. And there's a whole a whole bunch of very gross yeah. government government sponsored anti-Semitism across Turkey, uh, campaigns to prohibit the sale of land to Jewish people, a lot of a lot of bad stuff in Turkey. But that's not incredibly surprising. Yeah, I mean it's Erdogan. Like, yeah. he fucking yeah. sucks ass, and he, yes. oh yeah, er- 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 Erdogan is a man who has personally ordered children to be burned alive with firebombs. So, you know, this is not out of character for him. Yeah. And I guess uh, finally, uh, this this one, one other thing about Hanukkah is that uh, so last month, right after the end of Hanukkah, bomb threats were sent out en masse to more than 400 Jewish, Jewish centers and synagogues across the United States. This was most likely orchestrated by the same kind of small number of individuals. All of the messages were very similar. None of these were incredibly credible but it still sparked a whole bunch of bomb sweeps and concern because when Jewish synagogues get bomb threats that's not an empty threat either like this is like there is historical precedent yeah well and and i also like i think i think the other thing that's important about this too is like this this is you know this is like one of the, the things is the culmination of everything the right's been doing for the last like eight years has been the development of like this cadre of people who do bomb threats calling in bomb threats as a tactic yeah. yes no, there's the concerted effort for bomb threats at hospitals that provide transgender care, abortion clinics. Um, there was a, a string of weirdly organized bomb threats against schools about a year or two ago yeah. that I think I think Robert did an episode on. Yeah, now and now we're here at you know we're at bomb threats against synagogues, which is terrifying. According to the Secure Community Network, a nonprofit security organization that tracks threats made against Jewish communities. Bomb threats and swatting incidents, basically trying to get a SWAT team to show up somewhere because you lied about there being like an an ongoing crime or something. But bomb threats and swatting incidents targeted against Jewish centers saw over a 500% increase in 2023 compared to the previous year, which I have no reason to believe is incorrect. So on that note, I no, I don't really think we could have a bomb threat segue to to ads i i really don't really don't know don't do bomb <laughs> don't do bomb threats typically <laughs> this is what i got right <laughs> yeah, tip, tip, typically anyway uh do you know what else is the bomb these ads okay fine had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. 
Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. Maybe the worst ad transition we've ever done. That's not true. That is definitely not true. Yeah, okay, okay, you're right. Um, Okay, so during this last section, I'm going to talk a little bit more about data aggregation. So like I said previously in this episode, uh, due to the nature of what my job is and the nature of what an ADL analyst's job is, they just have a lot more time to dedicate towards specifically logging anti-Semitic incidents. So I did look through their data set, and I've made some extrapolations based on some of the findings and some of the open source data that they have regarding specific incidents. So on that note, the ADL has logged around 1,100 anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th, not related to protest rallies. So this is specifically all the incidents that are not related to these big pro-Palestinian interfaith, many Jewish-led rallies. Now, I'm not saying that nothing anti-Semitic has not happened at any of those rallies. But these rallies were logged simply as, quote, anti-Israel rallies, which featured overt anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, and or expressions of support for terror. So, (laughs) crammed in the middle of that explanation is just anti-Zionism. So, that is one thing they are just counting as 
being enough to be logged as an anti-Semitic incident. So again, I, I'm I'm not going through the over like like one thousand rallies that they have logged here just because I don't have the time and I don't feel like it. But but yes, just for just for full transparency, that is the information I'm not going to be looking at. Instead, I'm looking at these one thousand one hundred other incidents not related to these protests. So. These 1,100 harassment and vandalism incidents include things from anti-Zionist slash anti-Israel stickers and graffiti being left at universities and synagogues, the latter which I believe is in poor taste, but also, you know, swastikas being painted on synagogues, extremely anti-Semitic messages being left at Jewish centers, and street harassment targeting visibly Jewish people, as well as just overt neo-Nazi activity under the banner of Free Palestine. Now, of these over 1,100 incidents, I'd say that a very small minority of them are principled anti-Zionist activism, which has been mislabeled. Most of the data in these 1,000 incidents is just blatant anti-Semitism, ire specifically directed towards just regular Jewish people, people writing kill Jews in bathroom stalls, threats being sent to Jewish people mentioning Hitler or Hamas, a, a lot of just extremely gross stuff. Like, there's there's too many there's too many just like threats that mention the word Jews that I, I, I just can't even read them all, nor do I want to because it's just gross. Like there's there is yeah. a, a truly yeah. upsetting number, which is why I wanted to make this episode in the first place is because I've been seeing this pretty big rise in anti-Semitism. Other people have as well. And I felt like this wasn't probably being as talked about as much as it should be among the anti-fascist left. Because, you know, everyone's focusing on this ethnic cleansing that's happening because that is very bad. But meanwhile, there's this other massive problem that if you care about fascist entryism, if you care about uh, anti-Semitic uh, behavior and actions being uh, either allowed to happen in leftist spaces or just happening in general, like a, a lot of the stuff is being done by fascists who are not, who are not, you know, going to a pro-Palestine rally because they believe in anti-imperialism. But there's just a lot of this stuff happening, which is why I think it is needing to, needing to be talked about. Now, there are a number of instances uh, that are logged in these 1,100 uh, incidents here, such as, you know, for, uh, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to pull from actual examples, but also this is kind of generalizing because this was also reflecting a small trend. Things like pro-Palestine phrases being yelled at random Jewish people on the street, having, having, having like anti-Zionist stickers being poorly placed in different locations, like at a Jewish cemetery. Uh, vandalizing non-political Jewish-owned businesses with anti-Zionist phrases, even like breaking the windows of random Jewish-owned businesses with no ties to Israel or, or the IDF, and leaving anti-Zionist phrases or pro-Palestine phrases graffitied next to these broken windows. Now, while the content of what's being actually said in these incidents may not be like anti-semitic in nature by itself right like just just having very basic anti-zionist phrases being graffitied that may not be anti-semitic itself like that that combination of words this this sort of activity though plays into a classic anti-semitic kind of trope as if every like random jewish person is somehow in part responsible for the actions of israel and it also conflates jewish identity with zionism which is the problem that we were talking about before when we started this episode, right? Uh, or when I was talking about the stuff with Hanukkah. Just a few hours ago, as of time of recording, uh, uh, the Corvallis anti-fascist 
branch, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they're a member of Torch. Put out this thread about how the GDL, the Golem Defense League, we talked about them previously in this episode. They're a big group of organized neo Nazis that spread a lot of anti anti Semitic stuff. How they hijacked a uh, a city council meeting to spread anti Semitic stuff during a discussion of a, uh, a during a discussion about a a ceasefire resolution. And I think they they kind of ended their thread by talking about how it is extremely important to call out the conflation of the Jewish people with the, with the genocidal actions of the state of Israel and assertions that the media is controlled by Jews or that regular Jews are, ha have some kind of say in everything that's happening. Right? It, it, it gets at this kind of like cabal-ish notion. Now, back to kind of the data that I was talking about, these sorts of incidents are vastly, vastly outweighed by the number of just of overt Jew hatred, invoking of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, calling for the death of Jews and swastikas. But I still think it's extremely important to mention because the targeting of random Jewish people and businesses itself, that is a form of anti-Semitism. Uh, and this activity helps to reinforce the abuse of the Jewish identity by inextricably linking it to Zionism, which only strengthens the Zionist ideology. So that's that's that, that's my little mini rant about the way we've been seeing some of these things play out. Now, many of these over a thousand incidents logged use anti-Zionism as a sort of cover for just spreading anti-Semitism, uh, particularly from known white supremacist and neo-Nazi groups. The GDL is a good example. There's also groups like White Lives Matter and a number of others that I could name that when you're looking through the ADL's data on these a thousand or so incidents, a large, large amount of them are done by the Goyim Defense League, the GDL. And this is, this, this, is, this is a strategic thing for them, right? They're seeing the kind of moment that people are in culturally, the way people are talking about Israel. And if they can find a way to squeeze in their neo-Nazi talking points kind of under this, under this very, very thin uh, Palestine kind of uh, veneer, that's great for them. If they can get people to start almost mindlessly re repeating their style of talking points, that's great for them, right? This it, it makes sense why they're putting so much time and dedication to this, because they're trying to use this moment and ab abuse the thousands of people who might be more susceptible to this right now to spread their ideology and to, to, and to do, and to do an entryism. Like, this is a part of what their tactic is. So while it's true that many of these incidents do come from explicitly Nazi groups, there's also a just a really upsettingly and shockingly large number of them that come from students. Students from middle school to college who are ostensibly anti-Israel, but are going about it via targeting random Jewish people and spreading anti-Semitism, whether that's intended or not. But a lot of the talking points are just anti-Semitic talking points. Now, I, I can I'm not in the heads of anybody. I'm not talking to the 12-year-old in some middle school in Colorado who's leaving anti-Semitic messages in a bathroom stall. But the effect is kind of the same. And just the, the sheer number of specifically like, like, like middle school, junior high, high school incidents that are logged among this thousand was just incredibly, dist uh, incredibly distressing. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think a lot of what's going on here is that, like, the U.S. is a culturally Christian society, right? Like, it, it has 
Like of of the developed countries, the U.S. is like one of the most Christian and American Christianity. And this is true of like in different ways of like just basically all of the major Christian denominations are enormously anti-Semitic. Like, and they're anti-Semitic in very in different in different and weird ways. Like, I mean, I, I spent some time recently for something else, like reading about like. This argument between like the evangelicals who are like we need to we need to have uh, all the Jews go back to Israel so that we can uh, bring about the second coming, and they were yeah. in a fight with the the hardline like right wing Lutherans and the hard hardline right wing Lutherans are like what the fuck do you mean like no like the 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 Holy Land belongs to us not the Jews what the fuck are you guys doing right it's so, like oh, th- this is the baseline of American society right yeah. it's unbelievably yeah. anti Semitic in ways that you know are are just sort of passed down through like, like culture are are culturally received and absorbed in ways that people don't like see or understand or think about because it's just, it's, it's the wall, it's the water that America that, you know, you swim in, in in American culture in this sort of like, like this hegemonic Christian society. And that means that like, even people with like, at least in their heads, good intentions get caught up in this shit and it, it's fucking yeah, and, bad. And there's also at the same time, a very concerted effort to slide in the anti-Jewish extremism, anti-Semitic yeah. rhetoric to, 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 to slide that in sometimes covertly, sometimes not uh, yeah. into, into lots of mainstream discourse and exchanges and social media, specifically TikTok has been really, has been really bad at this, which is where a lot of young people spend probably the majority of their day if they're going to yeah. be looking at their phone and it's it's i i, I like I, I said i didn't want to get into like social media rhetoric but also just like as someone who spent a lot of time on 4chan and 8chan looking specifically at nazis the the way twitter currently works is like it, it is just 4chan 8chan level stuff pretty commonly like if if, yeah. if i look at the quote tweets of any of, of oh, almost any tweet made by a jewish person there is there is just some of the most atrocious unmoderated anti-semitism that i've seen on a platform like like twitter like this is this is really like 8chan level stuff i think uh, and this this is this is intentional to slide this stuff in to make it look normalized the adl uh, reported a nearly 1000 percent increase in the daily average of violent messages mentioning jews and israel in white supremacist and right-wing extremist channels on telegram in the days following the october 7th massacre so this this is something that is specifically being done in far right spaces. I'm going to quote again from uh, this Corvallis uh, uh, against fascism: um, "The struggle for the liberation of Palestine is one of the most pressing of our time. It's imperative that we shut down anti-Semitic attempts to co-opt that struggle immediately." Uh, which, if if you care about the liberation of uh, Palestine and uh, Palestinian people, this is something you also need, need to be concerned about because these two things are linked. There was there's uh, 27 assaults have been reported around eight of these assaults are stemming from fights which broke out at protest rallies. I, I'm not going to get into those ones as much because that can be tricky because I've seen Zionists yeah. start fights like right next to me before and then claim victimhood like, n- no, you were the one that started that you swung a flagpole at these people and then they deescalated very quickly. 
and I'm sure there's incidents of the reverse happening. But uh, a majority of these assaults that have been reported are very clear-cut anti-Semitic attacks targeted against Jewish people, some of which are quite frightening to read about. There's been a, a, a large number of vehicle attacks. There was this one, one incident of someone breaking into a Jewish family's home and ass assaulting people inside their own home. Uh, then also, also, there's been a number of incidents of just assaulting people as they leave synagogues. I've seen very, Zionists very start fights with people so, right next to me is, before. That is kind of what I had to say about uh, this rise in, uh, in anti-Semitism, because I, I saw this being a major problem that was being not talked about as much as it should be, because this is it is higher than what we've seen in years. Not to even mention uh, the rise in uh, Islamophobia, which is also... A massive rise in, is in Islamophobia has been happening the past four months, including resulting in murders, right? Um, just, just in the four weeks after October 7th, the Council on American-Islamic Relations logged an unprecedented number of Islamophobic incidents. Uh, the research and advocacy director, Corey Saylor, said in a statement, quote, Both Islamophobia and anti-Arab racism are out of control in ways we have not seen in almost 10 years. The 1,283 complaints we have received over the past month represent a 216% increase in requests for help and reports of bias. The Islamophobic and anti-Palestinian rhetoric that have been used to justify both violence against Palestinians in Gaza and silent supporters of Palestinian human rights here in America have contributed to this unprecedented surge in bigotry. It's just been bad the past four months. Yeah. It's just, things yeah. have been bad. There's been murders, there's been assaults. It's, 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 it's horrible. And I think both of these things are things that need to be, need to be uh, interrogated more. The Islamophobic incidents, as well as anti-Semitic incidents. So that's what I wanted to, to talk about um, as I have been slowly, slowly logging more synagogue attacks, more death threats, all of these sorts of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of all I have to say uh, today. Yeah, it's it's real bad. I don't know. I mean, it's bad is... out there. I, I I mean, if you care about the struggle of the liberation of Palestine and the people in Palestine, you need to. If if you see if you see anything that plays in to these sorts of anti-Semitic tropes that we've talked about, uh, blaming just random Jewish people for what's going on, um, uh, attacking random Jewish-owned businesses without any ties to the IDF, without any ties to the state of Israel. Just all of this stuff, it needs to be called out because this actually, th this sort of thing only strengthens the ideology of of Zionism. So if, if you call yourself an anti-Zionist, it is your uh, imperative duty to be on the watch for this sort of thing and stop it if you see it. That's... That's kind of the uh, the, the uh, thesis at the end of this. All right. Well, um, without further ado, I think we will uh, end this episode. Stay safe out there, everybody. Hopefully this new year won't be complete chaos for all of us. Happen Year is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.